Hey there, listeners. Well, welcome to another episode of the Leadership is Changing podcast. And what I did is I interviewed a guy called Jason Radisson, and he's the founder and CEO of an organization called Movo. It's a platform that is helping solve the global shortage of skilled frontline workers with more than 300,000 users from nurses to solar technicians. And he's worked with more than a dozen first-tier VCs, venture capitalists, firms like SoftBank, Excel, and to name a few. And so they've done really well, even him and his organization as well. So Jason and I talked about various things, and the title of the episode is called Place Your Smart Bets Strategically. Now, one thing we talked about was around technology, that it needs to be put more to work. In other words, to work more for us as leaders, as as business owners, as leaders of large organizations and small organizations, it doesn't matter the size, but be smart in using technology to actually enable us or empower us to get things done in business. The other thing we talked about that there is no right or wrong answer. And so if you have seven different answers and seven different options there, well then choose two and go for it. But the thing that we talked about was it's about placing your bets strategically in this dynamic world that's always changing. So be smart in the way that you place your bets strategically. And so Jason and I had some fun on the, on the interview. So what we wanted you to do now is sit back and enjoy the episode. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership is Changing podcast. Great to have you here. We have a wonderful guest with us today. His name is Jason Radisson. Jason, a massive welcome to you. Thanks for having me on the show, Dennis. Excellent. Now, Jason, whereabouts in the world are you today? I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Awesome. So in the United States of America, that's good. And Jason, I've given the, the actual listeners a little bit of an introduction to you. Would you like to share any more about your background, please? Yeah, I think I'm a serial entrepreneur. I have been growing businesses these last dozen or so years in the gig economy. And my latest venture is Movo, which is an HR platform for the frontline workforce. Yeah, awesome. Movo, what a cool name. Thanks. Where did that name come from? You know, a lot of, a lot of ideation. It was important to us to keep it short and sweet. And I think with, you know, that type of technology made up a uh, startup name, it gives you a lot of room to put into the brand what you want the company to be. They are our blank slates. And that was really the approach we wanted. And there are things in there, you know, mobility, vocation, these kinds of things that are very much tied to the future. And is your organization, you know, mainly in the US or is it, is it elsewhere as well? We're fairly global for an early stage company. We are doing business in Latin America, Eastern Europe, as far east as Turkey, and quite a bit in the US as well. Mm, very good. And tell me, so we're talking about leadership today. We're going to be talking about through the lens of leaders at first, and then we'll change lenses later on. 
But the, the first question I got for you is, how did you get into leadership? I got into leadership through early job experiences. And I think largely in the way that a lot of people do, a little serendipitously, where I was responsible for a function or a piece of a business and needed to step in to make sure that things went well. Yep. And what was that like for you, that experience of having to step in to make sure things went well? You know, a little scary at first. You know, I, I'd say close to stage fright or, you know, that sort of butterflies feeling when you're about to perform in a very new way in front of in front of a lot of folks. I think the business experience, I was a musician as a kid as well, I played in a lot of different groups. And I think that that experience is similar, that that initial feeling. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening to this episode as well. They probably go through that too. I think it's a good thing though, when you get that nerves, right? You, you sort of, that sort of helps <laughs> you. One is because you do care about it going well. And two would be that yeah. it's just a great thing and it just gets the, the blood flowing. Because if it wasn't there, then it'd probably be pretty flat. Yeah. So, so I think it's a good thing. How did you cope in the sense that, were you given training? Were you developed as a leader or were you just thrown into the deep end? A little bit of both. You know, my own personal background is I came up poor with a single mom, a 16-year-old single mom. And I think I just had a lot of work experience very early on for probably most people's standards. And, you know, part of that is it can be you're sort of left to your own devices. It sort of depends on, I think a lot of times too, when you're coming up and you're, you're working an entry-level job or a relatively junior job, your immediate supervisor is pretty junior. And I think that leads a lot of people when they get those first leadership experiences to not have a lot of supervision and, you know, need to figure out quite a few things on their own. You know, I'd say I had one extremely robust sort of mentorship program, more structured program early on. And that was sort of my college years. I worked all through college and graduate school uh, and I had, I had a wonderful of apprentice pro ad hoc apprentice program that a company put together for me when I was when I was in college uh, the summers during college and, and the work that I did for them during the school year and that really helped it got me exposure to some more senior level folks and some international business exposure and a lot of things that I learned during those years and and really more structured more support you know than anything I had seen at that point. Mm. And, and it's wonderful when you, when you do have that opportunity because, you know, as you said, the structure and so forth and support, but also the access to various people who have been there, done that, successful, yeah. hopefully they're successful in what they've done. But of course, they've probably learned a lot as well. So it just means you don't have to reinvent sure. the wheel. There's a lot of people yeah. that don't actually have exposure to that. And so yeah. Um, yeah. was there anything else you might have done as well outside of that mentorship program, anything you did personally to try and help you develop as a leader? You know, I had just a lot of interests and I thought a lot of leadership experiences that, that weren't particularly business experiences. I was, I was leader in the Boy Scouts. Mm. I was leader in sports at school, team captain, team co-captain, those kinds of experiences. So I think a lot of those experiences are 100% relevant for the business world and in those same skills, you know, really carry over. Yeah, cool. So there, there were things there already. So you did have that kind of experience yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah that, that's really good. Um, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, the only thing I would add, Dennis, is, you know, I think growing up poor, for those who are out there that maybe come from modest means as well, I think one of the hardest things when you're first starting out too is may not necessarily have 
much of a support network. And particularly if you're growing up, as I did in a rural part of the world, that can be really hard. So it really is super important to, to get that support, to find that support, to reach out. I made, you know, my early mentorship experiences were all sort of folks that I had worked really hard to network with. I heard, you know, back in the day, I'd written them a cold letter saying I really wanted to work for them. And, you know, these were the things I thought I could learn. And, and those kinds of things definitely work. Yeah, nice. So there it is. Let's, let's use an example, maybe writing a cold letter, as Jason's just called it, or a letter that you can send out to people saying, hey, quite keen yeah. to come and work here for you or with the organization. Because a lot of people tend to nowadays, Jason, wait for opportunities to come to them. Or they will send a, they'll apply online for a job and they sit there with their arms folded, looking intensely at their screen, waiting for that job to say, ta-da, congratulations, you've got the job. A, it doesn't work like that. And B, you just got to get out there and do it. But I think it's a great opportunity for people to do that is actually apply or just send them a letter just to build relationships with people to say, hi, I'm quite keen. And it'd be quite cool to see where that goes for some people. So listeners, give it a go. And Jason will say that it does work, and it, and it does, and why not? So, yeah, be pretty cool. Jason, the question I've got for you now is, um, now this person could be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? That's a challenging one. <laughs> there are many good examples out there on many different levels. You know, I, I think the one of the most challenging things in my world, and my answer is going to be grounded in sort of what I'm doing today, I think broadly is what I'm doing today or, or in sort of what I've been doing for the last 20 years has broadly speaking been putting technology into parts of the economy that didn't have that technology or didn't have that type of technology. And I think it's completely relevant for today because if you look at, you know, this talk about artificial intelligence and sort of what's happening, you know, in some of these larger systems, certainly in the large language models and, and some of the other technologies that are emerging, you know, there's still this sort of underlying lying challenge that all that technology is there, but it still has to be put to work. And one of the leaders that I most admire was a former boss, Gary Loveman at Caesars Entertainment, before that Harris Entertainment, which is mainly what the company was, was known as when he and I worked together. And what Gary famously did was sort of recognize that math-driven analytical approach could be transformative to the hospitality industry and specifically to casinos and casino gambling and all of that sort of tourism and travel around it. And, you know, in a very sort of non-traditional way, Gary had been a Harvard Business School professor and written a bunch of books about service transformation and other things, went into the casino industry and brought the technologies in the day, the technologies were yield management technologies. They were the kinds of things that, you know, folks were using to optimize who was on an airplane and what price they paid. And we kind of very famously applied all of this technology to a completely different industry. That kind of leadership, you know, the really big changes in technology and in the economy, they really happen top down. They, you know, it's great. They will eventually happen bottom up and there will be bottom up adoption and there will be other things. But the really transformative things, they really take someone seeing the potential of putting this te technology into a massive part of the economy and then making it happen. And that, you know, really has been not only is that a great leadership example, but it's, it's really served as an example for, for me. And, oh, awesome. And 
And I like what you just said there, that all technology is there, it just needs to be put to work. And I think that all leaders are there, they just need to be put to work as well. And what I mean by that is bringing out the best in them <laughs> or giving them the opportunities or the support to enable them to do that. Now, if you and uh, that leader you just suggested there were to sit down on a park bench having a cup of coffee, Jason, would there be a one burning question that you would love to ask him? You know, I think I think the biggest question is is the risk taking moment. And I think the thing about leading is the more impactful you are, it's sort of the greater the initial risk and the greater the initial hurdle. And I think that that moment is the really challenging one. How do you get the trust in your own vision and knowing like as you get deeper and deeper into your career, you know how difficult the path is and then to take that initial plunge and say this is the next big thing i'm doing or yes i'm going to go buy that other publicly traded company or you know i'm going to roll out this next wave of technology whatever it is how do you keep doing that year in year out throughout uh, a very successful that's great a great way of saying it because i think that and this is why i love asking these kind of questions without actually telling you what that question is because it's sort of puts you on the spot but it gets you to, to sort of share and of course if there's this space that we're going to work through this the, the mm -hmm. actual production of this episode but the thing here is is that what's really quite interesting here is people share things that are actually sort of top of mind for them and that comes to them straight away which was really great and i, I love what you yeah. just shared there so that's it, really, really quite cool now the thing is that you and i are living in this world whereby even from a technology perspective whether it be data business even from social perspective Life is just seeming to getting faster and faster all the time, and we're living in a dynamic world. What makes a leader successful today in a fast-paced, ever-changing world? Oh, gosh, yeah. Day in, day out, we deal with this challenge all the time, because I think it's really exacerbated where you know my team and I are right now, which is early stage, rolling out a fairly large platform into a big space in the economy. The leadership challenge day in, day out, hour in, hour out is placing what I like to call smart bets and leading the, the overall strategy and then also the strategic execution against all of those bets that you're placing. So are we working with this channel partner or that channel partner? Are we going to work with this client or in this geography or, you know? Any of the numerous things on, on the commercial side, on the product side, we've only got limited engineering resources. Do we put our resources this month on this particular topic or do we put them on a different topic? So managing sort of that series of, mm -hmm. of essentially bets and knowing that we've done our best, we're smart people, we're working with a, a good common understanding of where the market is and where we need to be, and then following through and bringing the whole team with you to go and execute on those numerous bets. It's, it's really challenging. And I think the sort of portfolio perspective that we have in technology startups is, is the most adaptive and the best system I've seen so far. It's not perfect, but really thinking about that as everything is constrained. And because of that, our leadership task is to pick the right things this month, this week. And Jason, sometimes those are risky kind of decisions we make. So how does an organization who's looking at working strategically, because I think a lot of them aren't working strategically, they want to, but they're tending to work more transactionally or tactically on a daily basis. 
But for them to be working strategically and to take those bets, and I like what you say, you're calling them smart bets because you're, you're thinking about it. But they are risky, some yeah. of them. And so how do you balance that risk versus doing something and not doing something? How does that work? Yeah, it's there's no perfect answer other than sort of having the organizational wherewithal to manage a portfolio of, of, of items like that. And that means we're very clear on the opportunities and gaps in front of us. We've evaluated sort of the options. We know our constraints and sort of this is the stack, you know, essentially of chips that we have. And these are the bets that we're making. That's really the process. That's what it comes down to. And I think it's, it's very important for your team to all be on that same page. And, it, and it's very challenging as the leader of an organization like that. Alignment and sort of group learning is, is one of my key jobs. And it's a, it's a continual, continual thing. If, you know, there's not a day go by, that goes by when a partner somewhere or, you know, a vendor somewhere or a team member somewhere isn't a little misaligned. And, you know, it's, it's really a challenging thing to keep everybody aligned and particularly where everything's changing in real time. You know, new technologies are emerging, new opportunities are emerging, new commercial relationships are emerging. So there's always kind of that underlying evolution of the, uh, the data that you're using to make the decisions on. So we, you know, I think the best advice I can give to de-risk the whole thing is really just the entire team sort of working almost as a hive mind and having good open communication. And, you know, we started the company pretty much at the beginning of the pandemic, shortly before the pandemic. And so we've, we've sort of, in our team, we've adopted a bunch of online behaviors. We're all, for the most part, working remotely in many different geographies that, you know, keep us really well synced on what's in front of us. That, that's awesome. And I love what you said there, working like a hive mind. That, that's really cool. And the other thing too is say, for me to summarize what you were just sharing there, and you're using the analogy of, of like maybe putting some bets on a casino or something like that, is, yeah, yeah, is sure. place your bets strategically while being dynamic or in a dynamic environment, right? So because it's always changing things yeah. like that, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I, and I think a key is, you notice at least in definitely in the way I talk about it, in my leadership strat strategy and style, there's no right answer. Mm. I don't have the right answer. I assume that if we have seven bets, that the right answer is maybe two or three of those. And that, you know, the rest of them aren't going to be so good. And, and we build the resiliency into our team and into our business portfolio in a way that handles that. Yep. And then as you work, you'll iterate things, you'll change things. It, it depends what's going on. And then, of course, one might yep. pop out. And there'll be maybe none. We'll, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, yep. that's good. <laughs> yep, exactly. Very, very cool. I remember many, many years ago, because I worked for an IT company, and we got bought out by EDS, which was Electronic Data Systems, owned by Ross Perot many, many years sure. ago. And they oh, said, yeah. well, why, why did you want to come down all the way down to New Zealand to buy this company? And they said, well, life is full of risks and, and it is a risky business, but we take calculated risks. We work through all these different areas, just what you've been talking about, Jason, and then we'll take the risks and then see where it goes. And pretty cool. It's worked, they worked out really, really well. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And in its essence, its, it's core is a data-driven approach. And it says, you know, let those bets run and, and we will, we'll see which ones work and we'll double down on those. And, you know, the other ones, oh, well, we learned a bunch from them and on we go. And, you know, you just mentioned a data-driven kind of world. So today, businesses, I think those who are very successful or very smart understand 
the data and then do things with the data. Now, there are a lot of organizations that probably do nothing with data and have done very well. And don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that you have to, to do right. it. But in today's world, do you really need to know what the data is saying, where it's at? Or do you think a lot of organizations are still quite young in that kind of scenario and, and haven't actually developed it very well as a skill set or as a, as a way of working? Oh, great question. You know, I think more people are talking about using data at work than are actually using data at work. Um, I think it's, it's uh, you know, it's one of those things that's hard to sort of verify and true kind of data-driven competitors are, are really rare. I don't think it invalidates other people's business approaches. You know, if I look at my old world, when our business, Caesars and Eras back in the day when we were competing, they had a very viable business model that wasn't relying on data at all. They had a really nice product. You know, they had a really clear target buyer and segment. They worked a lot with sort of uh, international whales, you know, and we were more kind of grinding it out with more mid-tiers of the market in a lot of different properties in the country. But those were two different, very viable models. We had a very data-driven approach. We had kind of 12 master algorithms that we use to kind of manage our customers automatically and, and level them up automatically. You know, you look across industries and it's fairly rare that you'll truly see an algorithmic company. I think the vast majority of industries just don't have it. And I, I think it, a lot has changed, you know, I'm experienced enough to say, you know, I remember before the internet and I think pre-internet, there was a lot of modeling because, at least on the marketing side, because, you know, marketing cost money, you either had advertisement, which you couldn't sort of close the loop on, or you had direct mail, direct response, where you couldn't close the loop, but it was really expensive to send people catalogs and letters and these kinds of things. So people had really sophisticated mathematical marketing departments and the internet came along and email was free and a lot of page views were fairly free depending on how you set them up organically. So I think, I think it's as, as an example, it's easy to sort of take your eye off the ball and yet still have a very viable business model. And you might have a business that just per se because of your brand and your product doesn't really require much. I don't think it's wrong, but... I've definitely seen more and have been a part of some very successful businesses where we have been very algorithmic and, and very data-driven through and through. And it's hard, it's hard to replicate. It's really, you know, for everyone speaking about it and you would think that, you know, oh, you just, you know, do some business with these different vendors and they'll set you up with the right systems. It's actually not. It's really sort of a top-down, bottom-up, complete reorganization of how the business operates. Mm -hmm. to do it Interesting, properly. eh? It's still at the end of the day, you've got to have a, a viable product or service that's going to give the customer a great experience. doesn't matter what kind of data you got. However, the data today does help us drive or push things towards that the right market from a marketing perspective or what the market needs and so forth. So we, we get that. But it's really interesting how you, you know, what you said right up front, that there are probably some that think they're doing things with it or they're not actually doing things with the data. So it's quite quite interesting and where it is. Yeah, yeah. And I'm always amazed at how, you know, unequally sort of capabilities are spread in the world. We obsess a lot in venture capital and venture capital backed startups about, you know, competition and oh my God, there are 
10 other startups that sound like they're doing this and that space. And we obsess about whether or not we're in competitive spaces and how crowded they are. But then you can look at something like Caesars and Harrah's staring each other down on the other side of the opposite side of the strip. We had twice the EBITDA per room. We had twice the stock market valuation that they did. We were all out giving talks. I mean, there was Harvard Business School cases. There were several books written about our algorithms. I was standing in front of audiences at analytics conferences, telling people our algorithms, sharing the whole, you know, in essence, the whole formula with them. And yet our arch competitor across the strip didn't use the algorithm at all. So I think it's just, it's hard. And the fact that these technologies exist absolutely doesn't mean that even big blue chip companies are yep. going to use them. Or succeed or do well, right? So, yeah. Or succeed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah exactly. All right. So exactly. let's change lens now because you and I have been talking about through the lens of a leader. Let's change the lens now and think about from an employee's perspective. You've got employees that work for you. You and I have been both employees for organizations in the past. Today, how has employees' expectations of leaders changed? Yeah. Oh, great question. I think there's, and it's today, and there's sort of pre-pandemic today, and then mm. there's now post-pandemic. I think it's, things have gotten challenging. I think they, you know, I would say just overall, it's, we're at a time where there's rising expectations, rising expectations in terms of the sort of work-life balance in particular. I can think of a lot of startup cultures and I've been a part of some legendarily tough startup cultures. I worked at McKinsey for a number of years in an office that also very, very hard, the Madrid office. These are cultures where people work really hard. They play hard, they work really, really hard. It's not unheard of to have 20-hour days. And I don't advocate that. I don't think it's sustainable. But on the other hand, it's very difficult when you're in a startup environment because the work is the work. And, you know, if we have invoices to send and, you know, the day's up, if you don't send them, nobody else is going to send them or whatever your, your mission-critical job might be. Uh, and startups, we're, we're sort of only mission-critical people. We don't have any extra budget for people who aren't mission-critical. So that's, it's challenging to balance all of that. And then I think now, you know, we have, we're a remote-first company, but, you know, definitely what a lot of peers are talking about and definitely we're seeing clients is, it's really challenging the whole sort of how do you get the right mix on hybrid? What does that look like? What are expectations around schedule flexibility? These kinds of things. So I know, I know Dennis, I don't have a silver bullet or a exact answer other than that. I think to say each leader has to sort of figure it out for themselves and for their team and come up with whatever right answer it is, whatever, whatever you can do to sort of make a sustainable driving workplace where mm, people get mm. what they need. And I think you, you know, it's really cool what you see there because I think the, the thing here would be there is no right answer and it's got to be whatever's going to be right for the organization and, and rewrite for people, right? And then I like what you said as well, the pre, the during and yeah. the post really pandemic. There's been different kind of scenarios of what's been happening and we've had to adapt. We've had to move with the types. Some people haven't though and some people are sort of stuck back and they're wondering why yeah. it's not working for them and why are people leaving? And I'm like, come on, wake up. There's, there's certain things going on. So interesting to see where, see where it's going to go for them. Yeah, yeah. It, totally. And, it, and even within the same organization, sure. it's not one size fits all because you, you definitely have 
you know, folks in the early part of their career who probably need more mentorship and more informal interaction, you know, than somebody that maybe has been doing 10 years into a very specific role or something, you know, and they might just want the camaraderie. They might just want to work with their colleagues before going and get a beer after work. So it's, it's really tough to sort of put that together in the way that works for everybody when, you know, if you've got a diverse workforce and folks at all stages of their career and in different geographies, it's really, really tough to make one. Yeah, good points. All righty. So if I was to get you to get your crystal ball out here, Jason, and think about the future, where do you see leadership being in five years? Yeah, I think it is evolving. And I think we've got better and better tools. I do think the silver lining of technology is that things are becoming more real-time and connected. And there are a ton of opportunities to just have more transparency and have more openness. And I think, I think this is good all the way around. I think, you know, good employees and, and, and folks who are, who are working and being very effective in their roles, it just is better if the workplace is more transparent. I think the technology is doing that. And I think, I think that's a part of it. It's both, you know, these, let's say more heterogeneous employee needs at the same time that we have more technology. I think it, it's a world where as a leader, you're going to have to be very nimble, very ambidextrous isn't the word because that implies two types of leadership styles. It's many, many, many types of leadership styles and, and being able to modulate certainly your style, but then also, you know, your organization in a way that people of sort of all needs can thrive. Yeah, I think it's good uh, that you're saying that all people have all have different needs, and so how do we help them thrive? As you said, yeah, which yeah. is good because otherwise and, it could be quite confusing for some people. Whoa, what leader is going to turn up today? Right? I mean, there's, but I think if totally, the messaging totally, is yeah. consistent, though, that's that's the key. Yeah, and it's you know, and that's why I'm saying I think the technology allows you, and it's not the same as sort of spending a week with the team offsite or something like that, but it it allows you to be in contact with all kinds of colleagues all over the globe, more or less in real time. And I just, I think that's, in some ways, it's so much more collaborative than things are. Hmm. So I think that's part of it too. And I don't, and I don't think, you know, none, I don't know of anyone who thinks we're going 100% back to the office permanently. So, you know, I think it's a real, real advantage just in terms, as said, of the makeup of teams and, you know, sort of this this transparency and, and direct nature that we can all interact with each other. Yep. Mm, very cool. Jason, hey, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. And thanks for sharing with us uh, about your thoughts around leadership is changing and so forth. The question I've got here is if our listeners are wanting to get a hold of you, where, where should they go? Yeah, absolutely. Dennis, they should go to movo.co, M-O-V-O dot C-O. That's our company website. And there they can read up about our product and, and certainly find uh, ways to contact me or, or anybody. Excellent. We'll put those in the show notes, listeners. So check that out, movo.co. But Jason, once again, been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. There you go, listeners. Well, if you can take time out and work through things and have the right mix as a leader to work through a hybrid organization, but place your bets strategically in this dynamic world, well, so let's see where it goes. It's going to be pretty exciting times. Hey, thanks for joining us on today's episode. It's been a pleasure having you with us. Until next time, bye for now. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 